Welcome to Why Sew, the podcast where some of your favorite sewing personalities and rising stars share what motivates them to create using needle and thread. I'm your host, Jason Prater, and with me today is Jen Carlton Bailey, otherwise known as Betty Crockerass. We'll get to that later, of course. She is an artist, a quilt designer, and self-proclaimed master of curves. So I am super excited to have her on the show today and learn about why she sews. So, hey, welcome to the show, Jen. Thanks, Jason. And I'm impressed you made it through my name without giggling too much. We'll get there for sure. We'll get there for sure. And I'm sure I'll be giggling some at that point. But hey, look, I'm certain that uh, many of our our audience know who you are or have heard about you or been to your website or seen you teaching somewhere, but maybe you can uh, just give us a quick overview of who you are and what you do. Sure. Jen Carlton Bailey, as you said, when I got married, my whole life I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. And in 1972, Jen, Jennifer, and Jenny were the number one names. So I grew up with 30 Jennifers in my graduating class. So I became Jen Carlton. That was my name. It was not Jen. It was Jen Carlton. And when I got married, my husband's name got added. And now when people see me, they either call me Jen Carlton Bailey, all one word, or Betty Crockerass. So I started sewing when I was 35 after my first baby. And I fell in love like everyone. I Googled how to make a quilt. And I found Jackie Gehring and Amanda from, oh, I forgot Amanda's blog. And I fell in love and I started creating a fabric stash because that's what you do first. Yeah, right? I don't know if you know this. You don't, <laughs> you don't get a sewing machine. You buy fabric. I so I it. started collecting fabric and my husband uh, kind of whispered to me and said, do you think maybe you should buy a sewing machine now? So I went, yeah, um, that might be good. So I found an old 1972 Husqvarna Viking. And was there intent in that? You picked the year you were born. I mean, come on. I know I was, I was pretty, I I just turned 50 and 72 just happens to be like the number of a lot of things that I own. It was a good year. You don't look 50 at all, by the way. Just FYI. I, I don't, I don't. But so I, um, I started sewing and. Like I said, I learned from blogs. That's that's how I learned how to sew. And I took off and then I learned how to do curves and I fell even more in love. And then I got to teach and speak and inspire people and learn from people. And that's where we are today. I love it. Uh, you know, I talked to so many different people in this podcast that whose stories are so different. You know, so many people have the, the family story where mom taught them to sew from the time they could, you know, walk just about or grandma or somebody. And then there are the late bloomers who didn't start until later in life. It's in everything in between. So it's, it's always fun to hear each different person's journey. So I got to ask you, so when you introduce yourself, and I, I think I, maybe I know the answer to this, but I mean, do you consider yourself a sewist, seamstress, tailor, quilter, crafter, omnicrafter, embroiderer? I mean, how do you describe what you do primarily? I solve problems. All right. So I started sewing. Let me back up. My daughter or my oldest was born early. They were five weeks early and in the NICU and in the NICU, they get a quilt 
and they go home with a quilt and having a, a, a little preemie baby and being a new mom, I was always in tears and like so grateful for this quilt that I got. And I grew up Mormon. I grew up LDS. I grew up playing under quilts that were in a wooden frame. That was my frame of reference. I always wanted people to teach me to sew, but everyone was so busy. It was the 70s. Mm. My mom was working two jobs and my grandma was busy. And so no one was there to teach me. I mean, all my clothes were handmade when I grew up. I had, I've had a quilt my whole life. So later in life, after I received this quilt at the NICU, I was like, I am going to make quilts. And that's when I plugged it into Google and said, teach me how to make a quilt. But from that, you can make hundreds of quilts and I have, but there were other things that I needed. For example, a bag, like I need a bag. How, how do I make a bag? I'm going to teach myself how to make a bag. Oh no, now I need one with zippers. So let me learn how to insert a zipper and thank goodness for the internet because it's nice and quick. Whereas the library was a little slow back in the day. So I solve problems. I'm like, there's food getting on my floor. I want a rug. I'm going to teach myself how to do it. So I'm a maker. I'm a problem solver. And as I look out my window right now, I see my husband also making something, which is a huge structure called Quilt Fort that he's currently building for me. And it's a 15 by 24 mid-century modern studio. Wow. That sounds awesome. We're a family of makers and I'm, I'm glad I found that in my life at an older stage. That's fantastic. So, you know, well, you said you, your first quilt, I guess, was for when you got home with your baby. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what that's what drove you. How did it turn out? I think it's pretty damn good. <laughs> Considering I had no idea what quilting was. I just looked at a blog and Jackie Gehring was doing an improv, cutting a square at an angle. And I was like, what? You can cut angles into squares and then sew it back together. So I made the weirdest little like log cabin, (laughs) improv log cabin. It was Olivia the pig. It was something my kid loved at the time. And I quilted it. I didn't let off the feed dogs at all. I just shoved it on there, went. And it turned out great. And I still have it. I love it. I'm proud of it because I started it and I finished it. Even though there were frustrations along the way, I still got there. And I loved it in the end. I love it. I love it. So did you ever stop to get formal training? Go and study under somebody, work at a local sewing machine dealer, take classes, any of that stuff? Or was this all 100% self-taught online? I took a couple classes. I signed up for a local dressmaking class. I wanted to learn how to do that, but that was an advanced class. So I first had to take a zipper making class. And when I got into class, bless that teacher's heart. I mean, isn't that what you say in the South? Bless your heart. Bless your heart. (laughs) Bless your heart. I ended up teaching that class. Like, okay, if this is what teaching is like, first of all, I can do it. Second of all, I need to pick my teachers better. So I happened to be part of a sewing group in Portland, Oregon, that contained some really big named sewers. Mm. Kristen Link, who used to run Sew Mama Sew and does um, 
forgot what she does now. She has a sewing business as well. Elizabeth Hartman, who does all the fun animals, Violet Craft, all these big sewists. And here I was brand new. And thankfully, they took me under their wings. And when I would sew with them, I'd hear Elizabeth come up and go, what you doing, Jen? (laughs) What do you mean, Elizabeth? She's like, can I show you a better way? Let me show a different way. So it was really just by making mistakes in front of my sewing group and having them be kind enough to be like, let me help you here. Let me show you. And I finally got to take a class from Jackie Gehring, which she's always on my shoulder. I I don't know if you've met her, but she's a wonderful. I have have not. I know the name very well, but no, I have not had a chance to meet her. Maybe she needs to be on the podcast. She, she, she should. She really should. Uh, she, uh, she's always on my shoulder. I've got Jackie right here and I've got Sean Kimber, another one of my mentors. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Who, uh, they're in my head and they're like, Hey Jen, try this. And then I hear Sean go, Oh no, but you can go smaller. And Jackie's like, and then cut it up. So I have, I have my mentors like swimming around in my head and I have my friends around me. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's it's fun to hear you say that. There's so many people in this industry in particular, both consumers and people that are part of the business that are just so helpful. You know, people that are willing to share and teach and just very open and nice. I find that no matter where they are in the country, no matter what stage of life they're in, it's just a very common theme that runs through the thread of or the fabric of this uh, of this business. And so, you know, it always works its way out into this conversation when I'm talking to folks on the on the podcast. This is my 28th year in this industry. And I used to always have, you know, particularly as a younger man, you know, so many people asking me, you work in what business now? What industry? It's like, yeah, the home sewing, quilting. What? People still do that? Yeah. Why do you work in that industry? You know, these are people that work like in chemical plants and oil refineries and, you know, they're welders and yada, yada, whatever. It's like, well, hey, there, there is not a better industry full of better people. So I love that you found that in this conversation already with, with your yeah. friends and your mentors and people that have sort of helped you. So how did you go from all of that you know, just learning and, and at, an, at, a, at a later stage of life, obviously. And how did you go from that and decide to do this as a business? I mean, were you in an art, artistic type career before that? I mean, what, what, how, what t- tell me how one thing led to the next. I was not necessarily artistic as a child. I, I was really good with fashion. I was really good with color. I was really good with fabric, like textiles. So I ended up going to school for fashion merchandising at the Art Art Institute of Seattle and ended up in retail. I ended up at the Gap of all Ah, places for 13 years. Shout out to my Gap managers out there. (laughs) And I learned so much about myself there while still doing fabric, still being around textiles and and tactile things. And one of my managers, Alexis, Alexis Krem, she started a sewing night and I told her I wanted to make a quilt. She's like, okay, so we're going to make a paper template and you're going to cut out the fabric. Well, so I literally cut out a cardboard eight by eight inch square 
and cut eight inch individual pieces of fabric out and hated every minute of it and never finished. So um, <laughs> that was, that was it's it. Still my, a UFO. Yeah. I don't know. I think I threw it away. I think I was like, nope, <laughs> that's going in the trash. But so that was my little bit of sewing. And then I didn't do anything until after my kiddo was born. So being a stay at home parent and then finding something that you love and being able to monetize it felt it gave me pride. It gave me something that I could contribute to the family, that I could put out into the world, that I could share. So it ticked a lot of boxes for me and it made it so I felt like a successful human. And it's hard. It's, I mean, I didn't start monetizing and selling things until quite later on probably about six years. Cause I'm like, I don't want to write patterns. You guys, I, I don't like writing patterns. I, and I, then I created a template set and I was like, Oh, well, if I have templates, I guess I have to write patterns. <laughs> and that was, that was a tough one for me. And I still struggle with that. I struggle with work-life balance and trying to have two teenagers who need me now more hmm. that they're older which no one told me that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the early years are the easy years. Jen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have, I have two daughters and, that are 20 and 21. Oh, yeah. Teenage yes. daughters. Are you kidding? That Those are the difficult years. Yeah, you know. And so I struggle with that. But the pandemic helped a lot because I had to stop traveling for teaching. And because I went from Back to your question, long story short, <laughs> I, I went from being in retail to not having a job uh, outside of the house to then now having online quilt business, teaching business, and it just kind of was a lot. And the pandemic helped settle that down a little bit. And so now I'm only going to be teaching at QuiltCon next year, and I might do Sisters the following year. We'll see. But I just started putting stuff out into the world. I think that might answer your question. Yeah. Hey, we'll get to see you in Atlanta in QuiltCon. Yay. Yes. Well, I'll switch gears on you a little bit. So, you know, what do you love to sew? I mean, obviously you're a quilter, but what 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 is your most fun thing that you like to sew if you're not purposely creating you know, a pattern or something that is trying to fill a gap in and maybe maybe you're offering your your line, if you will. What would you just sew because you like it, because you want to sew it? I like sewing fabric panels or scraps. I I feel like Victoria Finley Wolf called them um, slabs, fabric slabs. Obviously, no one can see, but on my wall behind me, I have just pieces of fabric that I pick up off the floor and I get inspired and I stitch together and I put up and I use them in some projects. I just like to cut and sew, cut and sew in That's any way. Sometimes it's structured, sometimes it's not. But just that process of combining the color and seeing what happens and finding shape and texture really excites me. It's awesome. And I'm sure in that process, somewhere in there is, I don't know, this sort of maybe a, I don't want to call it a meditative thing, but a, a thoughtful process that must be going on that you're looking for while you're doing that, or, or maybe you're not even just looking for it, it just happens. For me, I've, I've been working on figuring that part out. 
dissecting my process has been something that I've been working on because it's really hard for me just to say, oh, I do A, B, C. So as I'm doing things, I try and remember and write notes. And one thing when I'm just cutting and sewing, it is meditative. And my mind actually settles instead of the constant loop of conversation that's going on. It's like a, it's like a mental break for me because mm. I'm not planning my next move. I'm not thinking four steps ahead. All I'm doing is cutting and sewing, cutting and sewing. And it's, it feels really good. I don't even press. I know that's going to shock some people. What? A quilter who doesn't press? Oh I, when I am just, when I am just meditating, I cut and sew. <laughs> Funny. Do you ever sew to give gifts? And uh, if you do, what, you know, is there a, a time or a gift or, you know, a person that you gave a gift to that's of particular meaning to you or something special? That you can recall? I or particularly I, memorable. It doesn't even have to be special. I've, I've asked that question and gotten every kind of answer, quite frankly, some good and some bad. Well, I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk bodily fluids for just a brief moment. <laughs> <laughs> I made a quilt for some dear friends of mine, Emily and Morgan Sapp, and they, I, I, spe- I spent a lot of time on this quilt. And I told them, when you get this, you have to use it. You cannot fold it up. You cannot put it in the closet. You have to use it. So one day I get a text message and the quilt is all wadded up. And she's like, Laura did everything on the quilt today. (laughs) We had vomit. We had poop. We had pee. We had everything. I'm like, that is the best compliment you could have given me because I know you're using it. It's fantastic. And so I always tell people, if I give you something, use it. It's okay. Even if it's for your dog, please use it. I have had a story like that before. (laughs) You haven't had a story? I have. Well, I haven't had one about bodily fluids, but I have had one about a dog. (laughs) Yes. Gotcha. Oh, that's fantastic. I love it. Oh, man. Oh, you got me. Too funny. So in your sewing room, when you're sewing, uh, when you're quilting, what are some of your favorite tools? Some of the things that you just, you know, can't live without. You just got to have your X in order to feel like you're getting their work done the way you want to do it. What's some of your favorite notions, tools, gadgets? I love a seam guide. Do you know what a seam guide is? Tell us. Okay, a seam guide is something that is magnetic or screws into your machine that can butt up against your foot or any area within your foot range to keep a consistent seam. So my seam guide, I have a Juki 2010. It's a mechanical, it's not mechanical. It's still got some stuff, but it's a straight stitch machine. And I have a special foot that came with the machine that everyone tosses. I don't know why, but my seam guide fits right up into it. And it gives me the perfect scant quarter inch that just makes life so much easier. Love it. I love my seam guide. Love my seam guide. And I love my glue stick because I glue based my curves. So without my glue stick, I feel a little lost. Very cool. I love my thread 
I love my sulky 60 weight because it's like in between too thin at 80 weight and too thick at 50 weight. It's a, it's my favorite. (laughs) I I get, I, I geek out about thread. I use, I'm not brand loyal. I have, I use the thread for the job. So like my piecing, I use my sulky 60 weight poly. I love it. Screw cotton. I'm sorry, but I don't piece with cotton. That's going to piss a lot of people off. What? You are not a traditional quilter, are you? I just use what works. That's my motto. So what else do I love? My seam roller. Remember when I said I don't press sometimes? Yeah. I have a seam roller that um, does it for me. I just demonstrated for Jason, but you guys can't see I love those little things. They're like little mini steamrollers, you know? Exactly. My <laughs> husband borrowed it to help put the roof membrane on my quilt fort. There you go. Multifunction yep. too. He can use it in his building and you can use it in your quilting. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> so your web address, your name, I've kind of briefly heard the story about that, but your website is Betty Crocker. Ass. Yes, everybody, you heard that right. Betty Crocker, ASS.com. And the first time I heard that, I just, I just chuckled and had to know from where this came about. I knew immediately that there must be a story buried there somewhere. So I know you get asked this all the time, but I guess God, you gotta, you gotta tell our listeners where that name came from. All right. I usually make people buy me a drink first. But... <laughs> okay. Next time I see you, <laughs> for, first round is on me. So when I first met my husband, I met him through riding vintage Vespas. So Vespas from the 50, like in Roman Holiday, Audrey Hepburn rode a Vespa. And we were, we were in a scene, just like a quilting group, there's scooter groups. And there was a girl that I knew. We both lived in Seattle together and we both moved to Portland, Oregon at the same time. And we were friends. We'd go to scooter rallies together and, you know, drink and be debaucherous and (laughs) ride around. (laughs) But we weren't really friends outside of that. We were scooter friends. Like you have quilting friends. I had scooter (laughs) friends. And then a friend of hers moved out and her and I became really good friends. We were like instant connection. She liked to create. I liked to create. She liked to bake. I liked to bake. We just really got along really well. Well, the first friend, Nicole, she got jealous. And now, mind you, this is not high school. This is, this is my 30s. <laughs> high school never ended. But one night we're in a bar and it's a very small bar. Very, very small. And she's a little tipsy. And she's talking to her friend, Angie, who moved out here, who I connected with. She's like, you know, you know, you and Jen, you guys... You guys are just doing stuff without me. I can't believe this. <laughs> and Angie's like, mm, no, we're not. She's like, and, and Jen is, Jen's always trying to manipulate people with her muffins. And everyone <laughs> can hear. manipulator. I love it. Yeah, I am. I am a master manipulator of muffins. Because you know what, Jason? If you came and helped me do something, I would make you a batch of muffins. As oh, a thank you. I might just do something nice for you. Just do some muffins. <laughs> right. So... So Angie's just listening to her and she's like, yeah, and she's just, you know, with those, with those muffins and she's, she's just, she's just a big cracker ass. <laughs> she yells it over the whole bar and everyone is silent, 
silent. And I look at, I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, yeah, I guess I, I kind of am. I like to bake. I'm kind of a jerk sometimes. I've got a big butt. I don't know, whatever. Betty Cracker ass. And the next year for, uh, we have an annual clown scooter rally where we dress up as clowns. And I dressed up as Betty Crocker ass the clown. So I was a 50s housewife carrying around a basket of peanut butter balls and muffins, <laughs> handing it out to everyone. Oh. I was a little passive aggressive back in those days. <laughs> That's the best ever. And uh, yeah, so she's still mad at me to this day, 20 years later. No, she's years. Not. No way. But she doesn't remember why. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it just kind of stuck. I, uh, I tattooed it on myself. It's on my arm and it just, it, I haven't been sued yet. So <laughs> <laughs> knock on wood. I guess when you, when you put ass behind it, that kind of changes everything, right? It, it does. And I, I've grappled with changing my name for a really long time because it can offend some people and, I I don't want to offend, you know, of course, it's just yeah. a funny nickname that happened to stick and some people chuckle and some people scold. And no when way. I tried to change it, it just didn't feel right. It's like going from, you know, going back to just Jen Carlton instead of Jen Carlton Bailey. I don't know. Just I stuck. love it. But it's certainly, it's certainly memorable. Yeah. Yes. It's certainly unique. I yes, love it. And, and, it, and it has a story, anything with a story behind it right. like that. How could you not like it? Right. <laughs> right. I Even mean, though it was out of spite. Right. It's still a good story. That's fantastic. Oh, man. So, I mean, you just like adopted that as your official website, like your business name, everything. This is. Yep. yep I love it. It's my registered <laughs> business name. I pay taxes with it. That is the best. It's really hard sometimes uh, when I have to talk to distributors or someone and I'm like, uh, it's Betty Crackerass. <laughs> I'm still embarrassed. I still get embarrassed. Like, like did I hear that right? Or did you right? say, can you spell that? <laughs> There's one of the guys that won't say it. He's like, oh, you're the Betty Cracker person. Nah. <laughs> yep, that's me. <laughs> Too funny. This is the best story ever. So are there any people... You know, you, you've obviously had this, this journey where you happen to be in an area of, of the country in, in Portland with a lot of really well-known sewing people in your group. And you kind of you kind of named a couple of people. So I, maybe this is somewhat redundant, but are there any people specifically makers that have been influential in your sewing life that you really admire or look up to in some certain way that just have, have, have helped you or, or just been, you know, somehow impactful on your, your sewing career? Yeah. I mean, I, so many people that I get to call colleagues and friends, which is really nice. I talked about Sean Kimber and Jackie being on my shoulders whispering. It's like, they give me the freedom to explore. And then I've got my other people around me who I would say would be Violet Craft, Elizabeth Hartman, who helped me with my business and thinking about how do I take what I'm doing and share it. 
So having, being able to have that business part and being able to spitball ideas and brainstorm, it's not often, but it's definitely like a very core thing in my, in my life, being able to talk about business that way. And my husband actually, who is not like a big name quilter, he's probably my biggest teacher. He taught me how to read a ruler. He taught me how to use a rotary blade. He taught me how to use a ruler. He's taught me how to fix my machine. He pushes me to think in a completely different way. So as far as, and I mean, he can make a pair of shorts, but he's not necessarily a quilter in the industry, even though sometimes he thinks he is when he would go to guild meetings with me. But he's a maker all the same. He's a maker all the same. So I feel like I have a huge cheering crowd around me that is impactful and supportive. Elizabeth Daxon of the Modern Quilt Guild, she runs QuiltCon. And she's a friend of mine who also helps me with the business end as far as just like sharing ideas and exploring new ways to do things. And she pushes me with my classes, my class offering. <laughs> when I'm teaching a class and it really helps get me out of my head and thinking in a broader scale. It's nice to have supportive people that are willing to push you while supporting you, right? Right. That's awesome that you have such a good friend group and supportive cast, if you will. Yeah. So is there anything that you, in terms of sewing, things that you would like to do, techniques you'd like to try, Something that you haven't done yet that's kind of like on your sewing bucket list. Is there is there something out there that you're just looking forward to one day? You know what? I'm going to, what is that thing? I'm going to make Jean Wells sit down with me and show me how she appliques. I mean, I'm friends with Jean. Jean, I don't know if you know Jean Wells, but she is an old time, long time quilter and she knows her stuff. And when she sits and watch, watches me, so she's like, so do you think you needed to mark that? You know, you don't, you don't need to mark that. I'm like, teach me. And one day I'm going to take a class from her and I'm going to soak everything up from her and just hope that she can teach me. Awesome. Is that, I'm not familiar. So is this, okay. this hand applique, machine applique? Uh, yeah, she hand appliques. So she does a lot of needle turn applique, okay. which is very delicate work. My handwork tends to be more bulky, I guess, textual. And I really would like to practice some finer skills, I guess, if Good. you would. It'd be like going from awesome. a dressmaker to a couture maker. Okay. That's how I visualize it. Yeah, awesome. So what what do you do when you're not sewing? You already mentioned baking. What are some things you find enjoyable outside of sewing? Since sewing is not only your hobby, but also your business. I assume you sometimes need to escape that. What are the things that you like to do? Well, as a lot of women in their late 40s do, I took up gardening several years ago and learned how to take care of outdoor plants which has been really frustrating and fun and exciting. And I have learned that digging a $50 hole for a $5 plant can really like make a good plant and that it's okay to take a little bit extra time (laughs) to to dig. So I do, um, I'm not a big outdoorsy person. I like being (laughs) inside, (laughs) but I I have really enjoyed doing some gardening and some planting and uh, watching my flowers grow. And for my 50th birthday, my husband is getting me a dog. So for the next three years, I will only be doing dog stuff. (laughs) 
I know from your bio that you like cats. Yes. So now the cat lady is getting introduced to the dog world. Well, I've always had dogs. I haven't. Oh, okay. We had two that passed right soon Aww. after each other. So we took a we took a ten year break, and no longer than that, fifteen year break. So I'm oh, wow. I'm ready. I, I'm finally ready. That's it's wow. crazy to think that. But the cats will need to deal because it's my dog. It's my puppy and they'll be fine. Should be fun around the Bailey household for a while. Oh, and we have a turtle too. So, you know, we're busy. I love that. Well, I always end this podcast with a particular question that pretty sure I probably know how you answer it, but it's more kind of a statement, I guess, but I'd like to hear how you feel about it. I've always said as an industry that we, you know, we, we don't really sell patterns. We don't sell thread or or notions or fabric or, you know, all of those things. But what we're really selling is kind of that sense of accomplishment and satisfaction and a word that you used before pride. That that is essentially what we are are giving to the consumer when when they swap their money with us. I just wondered, do you believe that? And, And how has that, if you agree with that, how has that feeling or that idea manifested itself in your own personal sewing journey? When I think of that, I think of emotions and I think of selling an emotion. You're selling an aspiration of, I want those, those colors are giving me this feeling. Mm. That pattern is making me feel this. Whatever you're looking at whatever you are drawn to is an emotion. You have an emotional reaction from it. So when I put stuff out there, I put stuff out there that gives me an emotion. I try not to make things for the masses. I don't have that in mind. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to make this and hope that people like it because I love it too. And when people meet me in person, I feel like everything clicks for them. Like my artwork clicks, my quilting quit, my name clicks. Everything is like, oh, yes, I met you. You are a very outgoing, bubbly person. I'm really not. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. I mean, I am. Let's be real. I, I. I am, but it's because it's, it's my emotion. It's my passion. It makes me happy. Sometimes it makes me sad and frustrated, but for the most part, my emotional reaction and what I'm trying to give to other people is that pride, that emotion that they feel, whether it's about color or shapes or fabric or texture, whatever it is, it's, it's that satisfaction. I think you mentioned that of having something that you've made with your hands. And you created a positive reaction, a positive emotion in someone else as well. And that's, that feels really good. Yeah. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? You know, it's fun to be part of an industry that, you know, provides people with the stuff they want, uh, the stuff they desire, maybe crave even is a, a good word versus things that they need or have to have. You know, it's like... That's a pretty fun thing to be a part of. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast. I've enjoyed talking to you and I'm sure our listeners will love listening to this episode and learning more about you. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it so much. So if the listeners want to learn more about Jen Carlton Bailey, they can go to bettycrockerass.com, right? So that's B-E-T-T-Y 
Crocker, C-R-O-C-K-E-R-A-S-S.com, right? That's right. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, you can, you can learn all about Jen and what she does. She's got some fabulous patterns. She teaches at shows and other places around the country. So check out her website. And Jen, it's great talking to you. And hopefully I'll see you around uh, outside in person at some point here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Fantastic. Jason. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Why So With Sulky. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and join us again for more fun stories that are sure to inspire your creativity. You can find more info and links for today's episode at sewingonline.sulky.com. 